Have you ever uh, felt yourself in need of some guidance? You know, the uh, maybe it's uh, driving in the ice and snow. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what to do with this. Uh, I'm thankful that uh, my dad taught me about driving in the ice and snow, uh, counter steering, and uh, I was I was able to avoid some accidents by learning how to do that. I think we have all found ourselves different uh, things that come up in life in need of guidance. And I'm so thankful that God didn't uh, leave us in this life without guidance. Aren't you? In fact, in in Scripture, God's given us a lot of guidance. In fact, um, if you search for it, you can find guidance for all sorts of things. But it's not just a cold, dead manual. It is connected to a very vibrant and alive personal relationship. And that's a part of what we've been uh, looking at as we have uh, come to, in January, the teaching of Jesus in John 15. And again, I just want to remind us of, of, of what's going on in John chapters 13 through 17. We get this uh, long recording of the dialogue that Jesus has with his followers um, around the communion table. And uh, Daniel did such a good job this morning of of leading us in that personally transformative uh, moment at the communion table with Jesus. Remember that uh, Jesus starts off by washing their feet. And then telling them to serve each other in the same way that he has served them. He catches their attention because he's, again, predicting his own death, burial, and resurrection. And he's predicting a time in their lives when he won't be with them in his body. And he's predicting for them that there will be suffering before they experience the ultimate Glory and victory in Him. And so this is, this message from Jesus could not be more relevant to each of us. Could not be more relevant to where we are in life. We're here in this all important and temporary and at the end of the day, short in the perspective of eternity period of our lives where we don't see Jesus in his physical body and we experience suffering prior to the ultimate victory that comes from him. And I'm thankful that Jesus taught us in John 14 before we get to this abide passage that the Holy Spirit would come. That the Holy Spirit would be a guide to us in truth. What I have found is that if we're following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, He brings us to Jesus. And I've seen so many examples of that with uh, people who don't know anything about the Bible. Where the Holy Spirit brings them to Jesus. So, it's this close personal relationship. And Jesus is calling these followers. These are people who have already accepted this invitation, his explanation in John 3, right, that God loved the world 
loved so much he sent his son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. That there would, there would, there would need to be a response from them to confess where they're wrong and turn away from it. But this close personal relationship, this living in, this word is to live in, to dwell, to, to be in the room, to be in, in this close personal relationship, and to stay in this close personal relationship, even in times when we don't see him in his body with our physical eyes, and even in times of suffering. Jesus is calling, remain, abide, stay in me, and that, that positional language of receiving salvation. And that language of intimacy, of, of life-changing intimacy, that's the call of Jesus. So just continuing in this passage, let's, let's look at uh, verses 9 through 14. I loved you as the Father loved me. Remember, Jesus is not dictating, right? It's a call to response to love that has already been given. And Jesus is our example leading the way. Jesus is saying, I received love from the Father, and I shared the same love with you. So, I loved you as the Father loved me. Now remain in my love. We talked about that last Sunday. I have obeyed my Father's commands, and I remain in His love. In the same way, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I have told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have, and so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. And remember, this, this word joy is not an emotion, it's a state of happiness, a condition of contentment and a condition of happiness. This is my command, love each other as I have loved you. The greatest love a person can show is to die for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So, let's look quickly here just in the next 30 minutes at four questions. What is Jesus saying in this passage? How do we understand the motivation process and decision of obedience. I think this is really important because if we don't dig deep, if we don't grow, if we don't, no matter how long we've been in this thing, if we're not learning more about it, I think what we will find is the human tendency to drift into, okay, I made a decision, I checked that box, now I just must do these things and what's really at the end of the day, a transactional relationship with God. And then what we find is we find ourselves, we get exhausted from that. Because we're doing it out of our efforts, not out of the Spirit's enablement, and not in the way Jesus instructed us to. And that's where our exhaustion, that's where our soul becomes thin. You hear me? Right? We, get, we can get into a spiritual weariness. And it's just human nature, it's a part of life, it's a part of drift. And that's one of the reasons why we have chosen to set aside three weeks at the beginning of the year to do less of for more than, right? Less of different things, entertainment, food, etc., for more of an awareness of the presence of God, for more of Jesus. And so, in this question, how do we understand the motivation process and decision of obedience? We're going to talk about that because... Of all the things that we could say today that flies in the face 
of the philosophy we hear expressed in music and entertainment and our infotainment, is this obey me? What? I mean, you want to lose relationship with anybody, just say obey me. <laughs> right? Because we don't like to hear that. Right? So, we need to understand the motivation, the process, and the decision of obedience. And then how do we know what to obey? Because we don't want to become the legalistic, mean-spirited people who represent themselves as Christians. Now, how do we know what to obey and what should we do? So we're going to look at those uh, four questions. So, first of all, we need to make sure that we don't drift from the essential ingredients of the teaching of Jesus from these verses we just looked at. You guys are used to me referring to essential ingredients. And so, Gideon, I want you to put the video up. Uh, essential ingredients, what I mean by that, uh, you can't have this whole thing if you don't have this one piece of the thing. So this is the, the Griffin brothers uh, do, do these roller skating videos, uh, and you you can't watch the Griffin brothers uh, roller skating without hearing the music. Because you, you don't get the whole vibe. You don't, you don't, you're not vibing with them if you don't, if you don't hear the music of what's going on. And I don't, I don't want to get a copyright strike on our video on the internet so we're not playing the music, right? So you, you I can feel, and I can kind of see what they're doing, I can kind of vibe with what they're doing, but you're not getting the whole experience if you're not listening to the music. Right? Thank you, Gideon. Switch it back. You know, I, I, I've been with, uh, some of y'all at, at uh, it was Shake and Bake, the roller skating rink, famous roller skating rink in Baltimore. Right? We, we need the essential ingredients. And if we look at, can you flip back to the slide? Sure. If we look at the essential ingredients of what Jesus is saying here, we get this concept, abide, right? Stay in me, stay with me in this close personal relationship. Don't let it get interrupted. And abide in my love, right? Stay, that's in this, the love, the agape love of Jesus is one of the essential ingredients. And then we also here see an essential ingredient is obey. Follow my guidance. So really, if you look at the verses 9 to 14 that we just read, you're going to see a, if you, then you will, so that... There's that relationship between these ingredients. And where most of us get it wrong is that we don't understand the if you will, if you, then you will, so that relationship of this. So let's just take a look at verses 10 and 11 to get a little bit of an understanding of that. In the same way, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. I've told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have and so that your joy will be in the fullest possible joy. And when we read the whole chapter, when we read the whole passage of just 9 through 14 that we just read a minute ago, you also see Jesus say, if you abide in my love, you will obey my commands so that your joy will be full. So there's, he flips it. He does both. It's not just a Western transactional relationship thing. No, it's anchored in this Eastern mindset of you be before you do. But you can't separate do from be. And that's where a lot of people experience great grief in their life, sit in churches, attend the event, but experience unnecessary suffering 
when they separate these things. Oh, I, I'll check the box. Yeah, I can vibe with Jesus who forgave me, who loves me. But then tomorrow I ain't doing nothing about it. And you, you can't, you can't, if you get, if you leave out essential ingredients, that's where the Christianity, that's where faith is weaker. And that's where we suffer some things needlessly. So if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, doesn't that seem flipped from how we might tend to treat children? If you do this, then I will love you. <laughs> or maybe school teachers or whatever the example is, right? No, no, no. If you stay in my love, you will obey. That's what Jesus is saying. And follow my guidance. You, you have to obey my commands and follow my guidance. You really need both of those phrases to properly translate from the original language what Jesus is saying. So, there's an if you, then you will, so that. So, what, what, what is Jesus saying? Jesus Christ invites us to salvation. Receive a new spiritual life. And to forsake selfishness. See, even, even the people that promote a philosophy of selfishness, at somewhere, they're also saying something that contradicts selfishness. Because they've realized that the behaviors of a toddler that are me first are not attractive in grown-ups. Right? So, Jesus Christ invites us to receive salvation and forsake selfishness, so we would follow Him. Jesus Christ calls us to a close, personal relationship of wholehearted devotion to God. You can't read this chapter without getting that very clear, that message very clear. Jesus Christ calls us to follow His direction in this loving, committed relationship. You notice, Jesus is not saying only obey me. No, he's saying, receive the love I give you and return it. Right? Receive the love and respond. It's not one thing without the other. It's a life-changing relationship with the king above all kings. So he calls us to follow his direction in this loving, committed relationship. The safety, the security of a loving, committed relationship. This loving, committed relationship is not a ball and chain. Hello? Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus is also saying that an extraordinary state of happiness will become a benefit to us. And this year we're going to talk more about cultivating joy. That's what, that's, it's, so actually what Jesus is saying is, if you, then this stuff is going to get easier. Because if you're staying in the love, if you're receiving the love and you're staying in the love, then obedience is easier. I have loved you as the Father loved me, now remain in my love. I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in His love. Remember, Jesus is not asking us to do something that He didn't follow, the ex that we're not following His example. Right? Jesus was human, fully human, and fully God. So He's saying here, Follow me, obey me in the same way that you have seen me obey my Father's commands. So Jesus is our example. It's important for us to understand. So the second question, how do we understand the motivation, process, and decision of obedience? 
Well, first, the motivation is a response to love. We talk about this a lot, and it's because it's important. And I, I think it is one of the ingredients of our church family that other people tell me that they hear and they feel and they see from us. But it's important, again, for us to go deeper in it. The motivation is responding to love. John 15, 9, Jesus says, I love you as the Father loved me. Now remain in my love. I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love. Again, Jesus is not talking about a dictatorial thing. He's talking about a response. Love is the response. The first four verses also help. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he trims and cleans every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. You have already, you are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Jesus is referencing the cleansing of salvation. He's saying receiving the message is how you were spiritually cleansed. Right? Which is what Daniel was talking about in communion. So he's saying that salvation is an essential part of the process. If all a person does is try to obey Jesus' commands without receiving salvation, they're really missing something and are going to drift into being mean. Right? So receiving salvation is the way we receive the love that becomes our motivation. That's what Jesus continues on. Remain in me and I will remain in you. And watch this, because Jesus is saying it will be easier. He's saying you can't do this on your own when he says a branch cannot produce fruit alone, but must remain in the vine. In the same way, you cannot produce fruit alone, but you must remain in me. He's saying, listen, I'm the true branch. I'm the one that's reliable. I'm the one that's strong. I'm the one that brings structure that provides freedom. And you're you're the vine. You're the vine. Don't separate from me the branch. Don't don't separate. You've got to stay connected. Stay connected. And when you do stay connected, there will be results. There will be fruit. It becomes easier. So, I hope you're getting a sense of responding to love and that this is important. So we receive new spiritual life through Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and in this we're motivated to accept His shaping influence and direction of our lives. Right? If somebody off the street you've never met before tells you to do something, you're going to need some context in order to listen. Right? The loving relationship, the gift of new spiritual life, is the context for this relationship. Following the guidance and directives of Father God and Jesus Christ found in Scripture is the evidence of our relationship with God. Right? We don't do those things to earn love. They're an evidence, a result. Uh, Basil, the the church uh, father, wrote, Love is the motivation for such living. So how do we understand the motivation, process, and decision of obedience? The process is this living in close relationship. So we've already received salvation, and then this working it into us, which presses the selfishness out, is that sanctification process. It's the more we choose to stay in an awareness. Like this morning, we did you sense the sweet presence of God when you threw yourself completely into worship. When you worshiped God this morning with your whole heart, you sensed the presence of God. The love of God, the favor of God, right? 
So it's this living in close relationships with the process. A lot of people like to quote Augustine, love God and do as you please, but I don't hear the same people quoting this from Augustine. Abiding in Christ governs what we desire, which in turn brings glory to God as we live out the faith and life given to us by God. This quote, very accurately, this is actually from what he wrote about this passage. Abiding in Christ, it governs. I don't know about you, but you can find where your appetites change. So part of my medical treatment was four months with no sugar, no flour, no grain, and a bunch of other stuff. Now what I found as I transitioned out of that was that ketchup is really sweet. Yes, it is. Yes. Yes. First time I had it, I was like, whoa, yeah. I, how did I not taste that before? <laughs> you t- I tried, I t- in the, the, the week or two after that, just in like trying to figure out my new taste buds, I tried to drink a Coke, a Coca-Cola, and I couldn't. I was like, oh, I can't. I couldn't. Like, my appetites changed. Your spiritual appetites should change. You receive salvation from Jesus, this life change from Jesus. There's an appetite change, and that's what Augustine is writing about. And he's saying that when that happens, it brings glory to God as we live out the faith and life given to us by God. Every word in this in the grammar is is a very helpful quote. But Jesus said, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. A branch cannot produce fruit alone, but must remain in the vine. In the same way, you cannot produce fruit without me. Right? It's this continuing it, continuing it, continuing it. That's the process. So the decision is a daily choice. I'm going to choose every day. And don't you get a sense when Jesus says that those that separate themselves will be thrown into the fire. That's what Jesus says. Those who separate themselves from God, from the true vine, will be thrown in. Jesus is saying, this is important. Stay in it. And it's not a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. Maintain the connection. Daily make a choice to maintain that connection. It's got to be, you You are involved in it. It's a daily decision. So, John Chrysostom uh, wrote about this passage and said this, As we abide in Christ's love, we become more like Him and enjoy the security. Remember we talked about this relationship, it's personal attachment. God's made a commitment to us, which gives us the sense of God's attachment to us, and calls for a response from us that we would attach ourselves to Him. And when we attach ourselves to Him is when we experience groundbreaking, life-changing security. The truth of the matter is, is that when I experience stress and anxiety, and I do, it's because there's an underlying somewhere that I'm worried that something I care deeply about is going to go wrong. But when I attach myself to God and I say, like Chiquetta shared in her testimony this morning, God, no matter what, God, no matter what, I will worship you. But when I do that, that's what he's, John is talking about here. I, the security comes with obeying his call to love through obeying the commandments. So we can't separate one of the ingredients. He answered, Jesus speaking, in introducing a concept of spiritual family. 
Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his followers and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. My true brother and sister and mother are those who do what my Father in heaven wants. So again, we see relationship of attachment, love, considering what the other wants. That's an agape love relationship. I'm not attaching myself to the relationship for what I get out of it. Agape love says I'm in this relationship to give love. What do we do? Give love by choosing what the Father in Heaven wants for us. Wow. So Peter was totally changed by this. And Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote about it like this. God planned long ago to choose you by making you His holy people, which is the Spirit's work. God wanted you to obey Him and to be made clean by the blood of the death of Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be yours more and more. The grace and peace, again, speaking to this condition of happiness, that it is a result, that spiritual cleansing, that is a result. It's a part of what God is doing in it, and Peter experienced it, and it changed Peter's life. Now, obviously, a really important question we've got to get back to here in the last ten minutes. How do we know what to obey? And this is essential because otherwise we can get overwhelmed, it's it's impossible, and we get uh, discouraged, and we just leave, we just check out. Right? It's especially true if we're the ones who write our own list. That's why we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit who is gentle, who requires us to quiet stuff down so that we can sense the guidance of the Spirit. In my experience, the Holy Spirit brings us to one thing at a time that He's working on. And when we respond to the one thing at a time that he's working on, there's a grace for it. There's a lift. There's an enabling. The Holy Spirit brings an enabling to you to make change in your life around that one thing. But when we sit down with a pad and paper and come with our own list of 20 things that have to change, we get discouraged and overwhelmed and it's impossible and the the momentum is not going in the right direction. We talked about on December 31st, we talked about last Sunday, how to examine yourself where, what, which of these things are moving me towards God? Which of these things are moving me away from God? Well, how do we know what to make? Well, keep it simple. Search for the things that Jesus said. Maybe you need a, a red letter Bible, or the Bible app has a red letter, you know. Start with the things that Jesus said. Listen for the thing that the Holy Spirit is saying to you in it. And then this is. This is why I read through the whole Bible every year. Because reading a part of the New Testament every day brings me to the words of Jesus and then the results that the, that happened from the people who followed his words. Right? Search for what Jesus said. And he's saying, let my words remain in you. So that takes reading, asking questions about them, 
studying them, studying what Jesus said, thinking about it, not just taking one thing and taking it out of context, but getting some understanding of who is Jesus talking to. you got to back up in the story. Go back to the very beginning of the red letters and look for where there's a break in the red letters with the black letters, and then you get an idea of who is Jesus talking to when he said this. He didn't say abide to the big crowd that included non-believers. He didn't say abide to the Pharisees. He called them to repentance, and the ones who had repented, he said abide. You're going to get it twisted. You're going to get things out of order. This thing is going to become hard. You're going to get weary and exhausted by Christianity if we don't understand study. Who is he talking to? What's the context? What's the situation? What did he actually, what did those people take him to mean? We can't just look at it and grab what we think it means. We need to start with what they knew it meant. And by reading the whole text, like we just looked at what Peter said, we get an understanding of what he understood it to mean. And then from there, that's how we get good information. That's how it's reliable, right? Let my words remain in you. So we should read the words of Jesus, learn from the words of Jesus, so that we can follow the directions of Jesus, staying in that close, personal relationship. And this should involve memorization. Doggone it, there I go. (laughs) What I have found is that when I'm sick, reading is difficult. But what I have found is that when I'm sick and reading is difficult, that my cry for help seems most effective when I'm praying the words of God. When I'm praying based on a response to what God has said. A response to what the scripture says who God is. We see examples of this over and over and over in the Psalms. We see this over and over in the New Testament. They spoke the word. They had memorized it. They had taken it into their heart. And if it's real to you, then it's truth to you. But if it never goes past you listening to me talk about what it means to me, then it doesn't have power for you. You have to own it. So you have to take a word from Jesus, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All the rest of this stuff hangs on that. Memorize that stuff, and then pray that stuff. So that that has become very real to me. These times where it's like, okay, God, I feel terrible. I'm nauseated, I want to throw up, my whole digestive system is a mess, I've got a headache that won't quit, my sinuses, my ears, it's all congested, I get junk coming out of my eyes, my neck hurts, my back hurts, I'm exhausted, I'm lightheaded, my face is pale, why is my face so pale? I want to die. God, no matter what, I will worship you. No matter what. You go to my favorite verse, Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He is my fortress. My God in whom I trust. I can pray that. And I can follow the example of the Psalms and say, God, I don't see you right now. 
with my health. God, I don't see you in these circumstances. God, I don't, you can, the Psalms give us example after example of people who did that. I don't see it because of this. And God, I'm calling you into action with this. But no matter what, I believe, I choose to believe that this is true about you. And so I pray. You, you do that, you will find power that's beyond you. You'd be calling on a power that's not dependent, it didn't come from you, it didn't originate. And what does the old song say? The world didn't give it, so the world can't take it away. This joy that I have. And Jesus is our example at being um, an expert in the things that God said. And the love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus knew, um, Jesus knew what God had said first and was most important. We also see examples of that just with him using the vine analogy. We talked about it before, but Jesus using this example shows that before he was human in flesh, he heard God say these things. And when he was a human in flesh, up to age 12, at least if the customs followed, he studied the Old Testament scripture like all the kids did. And so he heard through Isaiah the vineyard songs, the songs about this analogy of God's loving relationship with his people as the garden and his people being uh, this vine in Isaiah 5, 1 through 7, Isaiah 27, 2 through 6. He also saw other examples of this vine analogy, Psalms 88 through 17, Jeremiah 2, Jeremiah 6, Jeremiah 12, Ezekiel 15, Ezekiel 17, Ezekiel 19, Hosea 10, Hosea 14. All of those use this analogy. Jesus is our example in studying scripture. Jesus studied what God had said. Jesus put a higher priority on what God had said to define who God was than he put on anything else. Jesus is our example. Jesus did this. He's not telling us to do something he didn't do. Are you with me? So you can do it. You can. Come to a scripture, what Jesus has said, and know that's what I should obey. So let's just wrap up, trying to summarize this practical, what should we do about this? Spend time and energy to be with Jesus. Whatever you're going through, whatever's going on, quiet yourself. You need to breathe for a while to calm your mind. Quiet yourself and focus on Jesus in the moment. In your imagination, bring Jesus into that moment because he is with you. He said he would never leave them or forsake them, right? Who? His followers. Focus on Jesus. Be available for his influence. And this is, this is where it's hard if we're selfish and immature. Be available for his influence. So listen to what he said. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Second, listen to Jesus. He said, my words, my words remain in you. Read the scripture, memorize the scripture, look at the things that Jesus said and think about them. So often Jesus teaches and he uses analogies and stories, and, but he talks about heart condition. He talks about the heart condition so much. Listen to Jesus, let his words remain in you. And three, follow the guidance of Jesus in obeying God's directives. Because remember what Jesus said, I follow the Father's commandments, so follow my commandments. Jesus is inviting us into this relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's inviting us into a relationship that already exists. He's inviting us into a relationship where he followed the Father's directives. 
Remember, he went to the cross. He said, let this cup pass for me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus obeyed. He submitted to the will of the Father. He's our example in that. Follow the guidance of Jesus, the example of Jesus in obeying God's directives. So God said, don't steal, don't murder, don't have sex with someone who's not your spouse. Obey God's directives. Walking out your spiritual life in community so that they may encourage your decisions to grow closer to Jesus. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. We're going to talk about that more next Sunday. When we're honest, when we bring the real us and all of us into relationship with each other here in this room, those that are watching online, right? When we bring our whole selves into this relationship and we don't think about it in terms of I'm following anybody's dictatorship, but instead we think of it as we are all following Jesus and we benefit from a strategically connected relationship, from being intentional, from choosing bravery and honesty and transparency with each other. That's what small groups and social times help us to do. And we can share, we should be talking about, hey, this is where, this is where I'm following Jesus. This is the effect that it's having on me. This is where my joy level is at. When we do this out in the open, being honest with each other, that's where power happens. Because these followers who sat with Jesus obeyed. And following the guidance of Jesus, They change the course of human history. You cannot refute that fact. So something in your life is possible that you don't think is possible if you will obey Jesus. In fact, there's nothing on the inside of you, there's nothing that you see in your home or around you as you go about your life, there's nothing in our neighborhoods, in Baltimore City, in Maryland, in the U.S., that wouldn't benefit from us obeying the words of Jesus. All of it would be better if we throw ourselves wholeheartedly into this relationship of abiding and obeying. Let's close in prayer. Oh God, I thank you that Jesus is at the throne of the Father making intercession for us. We read his prayer for us in John 17. We thank you, God, that you are informed by Jesus who knows the human life perfectly. And by the Holy Spirit who is constantly with us and guiding us. And so God, you know that this is not easy for us. That if we're honest, this is not easy for us. And so God, we ask you for help. Please, help us. Blow away the clouds of any confusion or distraction or voices, human voices or voices of the enemy that would come to bring confusion and a twisting and a deception. But instead, help us to hear you in clarity, in purity. Let the words of Jesus jump off the page to us. Would you help, let the Holy Spirit guide us to recognize readily what you are saying. And that we would sense that momentum as we obey. Let it be clear. Give us the courage and the boldness to be honest with each other about the journey. To be supporting each other, encouraging each other. 
as we follow you. Lord, would you change our world through our loving, committed obedience. Thank you for it, God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Grace and peace to you. Have a great week. Safe driving, walking. (laughs) 